0: As entrepreneurs, we see the world differently. In a world that not only tolerates, but promotes mediocrity, we unreasonably demand more. Giving you access to the world's most successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders, this podcast uncovers the untold truths of what it really takes to build a multi-million dollar business while optimizing your personal performance in every area of your life. I'm Jack DeLosa. Let's get to work. Hey team, welcome back to another episode of the Jack DeLosa Podcast, the place you go to master your business and elevate your life. Today I'm joined by a special guest from LA, the great man himself, Lewis Howes. Lewis, it is an absolute pleasure to finally oh, connect properly, man. How's things?
1: It's going well. Great to finally connect. been hearing about the legend of Australia for many years now. So,
0: <laughs> hey, Mate, you just got back from a week in Mykonos. How was that? It was
1: uh, magical, man. You know, LA has got some beautiful beaches, but this is a whole nother level in right. Greece. So for right. for me, I love the the idea of exploring the world and traveling because it unlocks new perspective every time. Whether you're going to, a, you know, a place like Mykonos, where you see on uh, the water a hundred yards out, three hundred million dollar yachts with helicopters on the top of them, and their own two million dollar yachts that come out the back of the yacht. Pulling up to go to the restaurant just to have dinner. Uh, you have that perspective. And then every year I go on, you know, charity trips where I build schools for kids in, in uh, developing countries. And you're with kids who have nothing. And they're so grateful that you spend a moment of your time with them and to help them with their education. So for me, I like the perspective of travel and meeting people and, and asking questions. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I've loved doing an interview show because for me, I just love – to learn and yeah. to have a curious mind. And I, I think, think we should, should all have be. a curious mind. So anyways, yeah. that's, that's why I like my trip in Greece. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for those who are, uh, for the for the very few people out there who are unfamiliar with Lewis, Lewis grew up with a learning disability, he was bullied at the age of eight, watched his brother go to prison for selling drugs. More recently, Lewis went from broke and living on his sister's couch to today, uh, I believe at the age of 34, right Lewis, today? 35. 35 today. He's a New York Times bestseller. Over the last few years, built uh, several multi-million dollar businesses. His podcast, The School of Greatness, was named one of the top podcasts in the world with over 40 million downloads. Uh, Internet Magazine named Lewis one of the top five internet gurus who can make you rich. And President Obama named him one of the top entrepreneurs in the country. So, mate, I was um, in the lead up to this interview, I was watching your interview on Alan and at one point you said something uh, that literally put tears in my eyes. She said to you, how do you get rich without going to school and your response was you've got to have a dream first you know mm-hmm. because I have a dream I can withstand any adversity talk to us about that That's right
1: yeah I think um, without a purpose without a mission whether it be a uh You know if you're in high school and your mission is just to graduate just to get through it to graduate to see something greater on the other side or whether you're you know broke and poor on my sister's couch and my dream was to have my own apartment and be able to afford my own apartment and pay for 500 dollars a month it doesn't matter how small or big the dream is i think having some direction or purpose a mission of having something greater than you have currently is what it's all about that's why we're here is to grow is to develop And if we don't have that dream, then what are we doing? We have no place to aim. We have nothing to aim towards and a bad direction is better than no direction. You know, having somewhere to go, uh, is better than no man's land. Just being in the middle of a dead zone where everyone is trying to kill you, where all the adversities of life are coming at you even stronger. And if you don't know where you're going, then you're just going to feel stuck and you're going to eventually slowly die, whether it be emotionally, spiritually, physically. Mm. And that's why I think it's important to have some type of direction, again, even if it's a bad one, mm. because at least at least you're going towards something and you're going to learn quickly. Oh, actually, maybe this isn't the right dream for me. I thought I wanted this dream. But it's really not the right way, so let me just re-navigate into a new direction. And maybe that's the wrong direction, too, but I'm going to keep re-navigating and moving forward. And by doing that, eventually, hopefully, we find something that matches our purpose, which fills our soul, and that matches our passion, or the things that we're good at, the things we like, we love, we enjoy, that light us up. And when we can go on a path that meets those two things, then... We just start to feel much more alignment of life, and um, the adversities, the challenges that come our way, are still challenging and hard, but we have a greater mission behind why we're walking that path, and therefore we're able to overcome those challenges a little bit easier.
0: Beautiful, mate. It's beautiful. Um, one of the things I want to start with is talking about. You know, you've built an incredible audience, an incredible platform in in in. In, you know what what's taken um, you know a lifetime of preparation for you, but you know the last few years it seems to happened happened quite fast. so in a world where everybody's trying to build audience and 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 build a platform and and you know people are starting to appreciate uh, to a greater degree these days just how powerful that can be. what do you think it takes to stand out? how How does one build their own unique voice in a way that resonates?
1: It's interesting. I was watching a uh, interview a couple of days ago of The Rock. I'm a big fan of The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. And he was saying that, you know, he really wanted to be into the the entertainment business. He wanted to be an actor. He started doing it. He got the bug. Um, And his management team early on said, you know what? You got to stop calling yourself The Rock. You got to lose a bunch of weight and get skinnier. You've got to stop being like this big macho, like alpha male. And so he did that and his career didn't take off. He struggled, and he was just like constantly being someone he wasn't. Screw it. If I fail, at least I fail being myself and being the most unique person that I can be. And I'm going to gain all the muscle back. I'm going to become more of the rock. I'm going to add to the persona of who I am. I'm going to care so deeply about people, and I'm going to win that way. I'm going to get to the top that way. And he just posted, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, that he is the highest paid actor in a year of all time, $112 million in a year, was just posted. Highest grossing actor of all time in a single year. I don't know if that's total earnings, but in the year. And, you know, he's not some Academy Award winning actor that's got these unbelievable dramatic moments. He is who he is, and he amplifies his uniqueness. And because he is, uh, you know, Sally Hoggs said, said something on stage years ago when I heard her. She said different is better than better. Mm. And he's he's not trying to be better necessarily than Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise or Will Smith or whoever the great actors are. He is trying to be uniquely different and being uniquely different is better than being better. And so for me to come back to the question, I constantly try to be different different in my approach to my conversations, different in my approach to my content, different in my approach to my branding and design. And I try to steal like an artist on other industries. I'm constantly listening to music, I'm constantly salsa dancing, I'm constantly traveling, I'm constantly going to sporting events, and I'm seeing what lights me up in different spaces throughout the world. And I'm stealing those things that I really like and applying it to my space with my uniqueness to try to stand out. And I'm just being myself. I'm not this polished speaker with these degrees. I'm not a professor. I don't have like all the research like these doctors and professors do in our industry. But I can package and explain things in a more simple way. Because of my dyslexia because of being bullied because of the experiences I've had so I lean into the experiences I've had and Package ideas and information in a way that I think is going to be helpful and and I just try to be more of who I am I try to amplify and showcase who I am and I think a Lot of people are trying to copy other people in the industry They see what someone's doing and they try to design their site exactly like that person or they try to create video content exactly like them, or they try to do interviews exactly like them, whatever it may be, they're copying people in the space. And it's not unique. It's not different. So until you become so uniquely you and exploit that in the service of others, um, that's when you start to stand out.
0: Mm, I love that, mate. I'm particularly interested in in how one innovates and integrates across industries and across fields like drawing inspiration and insight from music, for example, yeah. and integrating it. Talk, talk to us about a, a specific example as to how you've done that.
1: I'll give two examples. Uh, one is 2016 I went to the Olympics. I'm a big fan of the Olympics. I've always tried to – my dream of mine is to be an Olympian, and so I'm on the USA handball team. Um, we haven't qualified I'm, uh, in the last eight years. We haven't qualified in the last 20 years actually, but I play – against Olympians, and my dream is to go, so I'm still playing with them. I went to the Olympics to watch the handball competition in Rio um, because there were some teams that I played against, so I wanted to watch them. And as I was there, I was going to these after parties, these after parties at these houses, and there was the, the Holland House, right, the Netherlands. They would have these unbelievable parties. They're, they're known for their parties at the Olympics. And every night, they would celebrate the Olympians um, from the Netherlands. They would celebrate them and acknowledge them. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever witnessed of an acknowledgement. And I I appreciate when I witness acknowledgement in general because it's the thing we all want the most. We all want to be acknowledged. And at the end of the day, uh, we get acknowledged the most at our funeral when we can't receive it, right? When it's too late. And so this house, they... You know, thousands of people come and celebrates. It doesn't matter if they got a bronze, silver, or gold medal. They acknowledge their athletes who fought to, to be a, a medal winner. And they create this epic celebration for them where each one of them individually got this, like, beautiful highlight video of the announcer talking about how they came across the finish line. And the music, they had these dancers, the lights. It was just like – Unbelievable. What they did, which was different for me, is they had this person rise up from the ground like a phoenix from the ashes. Then they would walk through the audience with drummers all around them, circling them. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Going through the audience as this highlight video is going on. And then they walk up to the stairs just celebrating like the champions that they are. And I thought... Wow, it just made me feel so electric feeling this and seeing this and watching, like, move to tears with this acknowledgement. And I said, I've been to, and I was, I was creating an event, like an annual event that you called the Summit of Greatness. <clears throat> and I said, you know what, I want to create the event that I would like to attend. I'm sure you've been to many conferences, you host conferences, and a lot of ones that I speak at I felt like did a poor job of introducing myself and other speakers. It was always just some random person with like a bio that read it up. and be Like, okay, our next speaker is so-and-so, and let's bring them to the stage and weird music. And it was just like never really fluid or inspiring. And I said, if I'm going to bring the biggest speakers in the world to my conference, and none of them get paid, but they're doing it on relationship equity, and they normally get paid 50 grand a speech, if they're going to come for free, I want them to say that this was the greatest experience of their life so that they deliver the greatest speech of their life for my audience and it impacts them in a way that they've never been impacted before. So I reenacted and recreated this acknowledgement, but not at the end of their speech, before they even got on stage, where literally they're like crowd surfing through the crowd with drums, a highlight video, the whole thing, with a crescendo so that almost every speaker was in tears before they even opened their mouth to speak. And they felt so much love and acknowledgement before. It was a standing ovation before they spoke. And so for me, that was one thing that I stole that people continue today to say, like, this is the greatest thing. It's when they're getting ready for the speaker to come on stage, that's when they light up the most. So that was one innovation. Another thing is um, I'm constantly – creating my posts on social media not based on what other speakers or podcasters or authors on how they post. I'm looking at, uh, DJs, fashion designers, uh, elite athletes. I'm seeing how they're positioning and posting their images and videos. And I'm creating my brand design, excuse me, around that type of, uh, technique and Mm. style as opposed Mm. to just like, Here's an author post with a quote or whatever it may be. I'm really trying to be unique with the design of every image. Mm. It's very thought out. It may seem random, but it's very thought out to create an experience for everyone that sees it or watches it. So uh, those are two examples that I use.
0: Mm. Mm. That's beautiful, mate. And it's, it's obviously worked incredibly well for you. You've know, got six, 670,000 followers on Instagram. And, mate, I understand you've got a, a unique 10-step process for growing 2K per month. Can, can you share with us some of the key steps or actions one takes to, at a, at a practical, tactical level, build audience on Instagram?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you, I, I think it's not going to be a sexy thing what I say right here, but it's really about finding your uniqueness and being consistent and adding value as often as possible, whether you post once or twice a day or weekly or whatever, whatever works for you, but you just gotta be consistently adding value and finding your uniqueness and exploiting that to your audience, not copying other people, but seeing how can I be so different and add so much value consistently. There's lots of different tactics of whether types of video or how you do the video and IGTV and linking out and stuff like that. At the end of the day, it's collaboration, adding value, and consistency.
0: Man, love it, love it. One of the things I think you've done well also is, you know, building audience is one thing, right? And if we if we sort of um, visualise that as a mental model as being at the top of top of the funnel type stuff, you know, having audience is one thing, and um, inviting people to to buy something and engage with you as a customer is a completely different thing. It, albeit there should be you know, a, a deep sort of continuity and connectivity between the two. What are some of the, the really nice and elegant ways you've found to move audience from being audience to paid buyers. customers?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because if you go to my Instagram and you scroll back on the last six months, you won't see me selling anything on my main feed. Mm-hmm. I'm never posting and selling something. You might see a couple posts with like an image of my book with someone holding it, but it's n- not like some hard sell. But on Instagram alone this year, we've done over a million dollars in sales. So how am I generating over a million dollars in sales from Instagram without selling a thing? And the key is really being – it's an art, right? Like you said, how do you do it in an elegant way and it's an art form? I use my stories with swipe ups to send people to something for free value so for more value – Um, I'll sell my books that way. But for me, selling a book is not really a hard sell. It's just to get people in to adding more value. Um, And then I'm doing a lot of Instagram ads. You know, the audience allows me to target people through ads to get them to, again, sign up for something for free. I never sell something direct. I always offer value with something free first and then offer more value if they want something advanced afterwards. And that could be from a course, a membership site, a ticket to a live event, software, coaching, you know, from a $10 audio program book to a $50,000 mastermind program. And my mastermind, it's got 47-figure entrepreneurs in it. Uh, I would say 28 of them came from following me on Instagram because I just sent out one video and a couple swipe-ups on Instagram and said, you know, just to apply. It's never a hard sell, it's hey, sign up here, and apply if you're interested in learning more, and only apply if you meet these standards, and tell me how you found me. And almost everyone found me from Instagram, or followed me on Instagram. So for me, it's building relationship, it's adding value, it's being top of mind, and then when you have something to offer, offer it for free, or offer it in a way that they can apply, and then from there, give them value and then sell something at the end.
0: Mate, one of the things I'm, I'm personally interested in is is um, how you sort of set up your team and, and the size of it, you know, in terms of the mechanics of landing pages and, and content and um, events and all of that sort of stuff. What, 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 how how big is your team and, and and what does it look like?
1: Team is lean, baby. It's 10 people, but we have multiple agencies that I work with as well. So it may feel a little bigger, but um, it's really for me... I work well with. I'm not an operator of managing hundreds of employees. That's not my uniqueness. Right. My right. uniqueness is building relationships, is creating content, is hosting things, is curating, is you know coming up with the ideas, is promoting, marketing all those things. It's right. not man, managing teams necessarily. So I have someone who manages my team with me, um, but I also know that having a stretch 100 that doesn't work for my brain so what what works for me is having a small small team and agencies and, and building out my vision that way
0: um, so
1: that's how we manage it
0: that's beautiful I mean what, what sort of agencies
1: You've got a Facebook agency PR right. agency right. Uh, media buying agencies you right. know, things like that this design agency so that I don't have to have them all in-house right. and when I get the experts um, with multiple ideas and they have the latest and greatest of what's happening.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful model. You've had some incredible people on your podcast. Um, you know, the, some of the most exceptional human beings on the planet, are, are there, are there, you know, two or three of the most common traits of this, you know, impressive people that you interview. What are, what are some of the key patterns that you've identified through your conversations?
1: Um, Well, there's eight things that I've identified, but I'll say three of them uh, that I think the the greatest have is they're so clear on their vision and their mission, Mm. so clear, and no one achieves anything great on accident. Mm. They know know exactly what they want. It doesn't just land in their lap accidentally. They just became world champion of something. They knew without a doubt for decades that that's what they wanted, and they had a, a clear aim and a clear path they were taking to make it happen. Vision of their purpose in their life was number one. Um, I would say the second of the three would be that they learned how to develop a champion's mindset. And a champion's mindset is really a sense of belief in either a greater uh, God giving them the strength to overcome the adversities to achieve what they wanted, or belief in themselves that they are almost godlike. Either way, a higher purpose giving them strength, or they are just, you know, godlike. They had the sense of belief that they were going to be able to make it happen. It was unwavering sense of belief. I call it the champions mindset. And they learned how to develop that over time. Uh and then the last thing is uh The greatest have a level a deep level of service towards humanity. They want to give back through their mission. You know, their purpose, their dream is something for them. But the way they inspire the people is for humanity in the pursuit of that dream or they give back through charity or in other ways like that. So vision, champion's mindset and uh, a deep desire to serve.
0: Mm, mm, Powerful. In your most recent book, Mask of Masculinity, one of the things you do is sort of break down some of the masks that men tend to wear. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is a refreshing conversation to see introduced, particularly into the business world. Um, you know, masks, materialistic, stoic, athletic, whatever it might be. Why did you decide to write this <laughs> book? And and what what's the key suggestion in terms of, how men begin to drop the mask.
1: I felt like it was a duty of mine to write the book. It wasn't a smart business decision. I could have made a lot of money doing something else, but I felt so-called part of my mission to write this for myself, to continue to learn how to unmask certain things that I was holding on to and dive in deeper in the research, but also uh, for other men. Five years ago, I opened up about being raped by a man when I was five years old. And I opened up about this five years ago. And for 25 years of my life, I suffered internally, not only because of that, but because of multiple things that had happened and the stories I told myself about those situations, right? And I didn't know how to break free of that emotional prison that I was in. Now, I was a loving, passionate, happy guy, very caring, deeply towards people, wanted to serve But whenever those triggers came up for me, it was like the Incredible Hulk came out and I couldn't control it. And it kind of got too far five years ago. It kind of, I had a couple scary moments where I got in some uh, pretty bad fights that I had to take a hard look at myself and say, who am I and why am I doing this? It got a little scary what had happened. And I realized like I have too much to lose now. Like, you know, I can't do this anymore. My reputation will be over if I keep allowing this to happen. It's time to break down all my walls, do the work. I mean, I was getting coached by therapists and anyone and everyone doing emotional intelligence workshops. I was doing it all, which my ego was telling me I already knew all this. I was like, you're telling me something I already know and I'm already teaching people. I'm already writing about it, I already know this. Like, you can't teach me anything new. So I was just holding on to these masks and the ego of knowing it all, even through the process. And it wasn't until one workshop, got me to open up finally about being raped when I was five and no one had ever known about it uh, because I was so embarrassed by this. I was so ashamed. I was so uh, scared that if anyone ever knew that no one would ever love me and accept me anymore. And you know, I I was just terrified of that feeling. But when I finally opened up, the opposite happened. People came up to me and started opening up to me about their experience Mm. being sexually abused. People started saying, you're the bravest man I know. Mm. They started saying, I trust you more than ever now. They started saying, man, I fully respect you. Whereas before I didn't trust you. Every man in that room, there's about 50 people in the room. The men just kept coming up to me and coming up to me and saying, how did you even do that? Like, this is what happened to me. And I've never told anyone and I've been suffering. And I was just thinking, wow. The more I went down that journey of, for the next six months, telling my family, telling friends, just telling more and more people, terrified of telling them, but realizing, wow, they they actually opened up to me more. They trusted me more. They loved and accepted me more as a human. I said, there's something to this uh, vulnerability, honesty mm-hmm. thing, right? It's mm-hmm. like, well, there's something to this. Like mm-hmm. You don't have to be that afraid to just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, – and the more I did it, the less I I choked up when I talked about it. The less I was scared when I talked about it. The less that moment had power over me. I now had control and power and healing over that moment and many moments of my childhood. And um, I started to see other men open up. Uh, I opened up about it on my podcast. I did a whole episode on this four years ago on my podcast. And it's still the number one downloaded podcast and the number one most uh page to my website today. Wow. Which is me opening up about this. And the weeks after, hundreds and hundreds of emails of men writing essays and stories about when I was seven, this is what happened to me, when I was nine, when I was four, when I was 12, when I was 16 – my, I've been married for 30 years with five kids. My wife doesn't know. My girlfriend doesn't know. My family doesn't know. The shame and guilt. And then I started to research more. One in six men have been sexually abused. but And, and men commit more suicides than women. And mm. men have more depression than women. Mm. And why is this? And why is this? And I just started researching and learning and, and analyzing and assessing and having more conversations with men. And I said, there's a deep deeper issue here in our society of what it means to be a man Mm. and what it means to be masculine and what it means to be whatever. And I felt like I needed to do this for myself and for any man that would be willing to listen and any woman in a relationship with men, whether it be their father, brothers, husbands, so they could understand where men are coming from. Not saying that, woe is the man who has all the problems in the world because women don't have problems. Not saying that, Whoa is, oh, the tall white American man who is making good money. Like, oh, we should have, worry about him. I'm not saying I have it worse than other people. I haven't had have a privileged life because I'm a white man. I get all these things. But there are so many people who may have privilege in the outer world, but in the inner world are suffering. Mm that are going to commit suicide, they're going to be alcoholics, they're going to be abusers, that are going to be, you know, rapists, whatever it may be. And when you look at the last couple of years, specifically because of the media, in the media, all the shootings, all the rapings, all the domestic violence, all the racial marches, all the bombings, the common denominator has been, it's been from men mm. who are doing this. Mm. Why are men feeling the desire, and the need to communicate with this type of expression. Why? That's just a simple question. And how can we prevent this moving forward? And so long, long answer, uh, wrap it up, I felt like I would be the biggest con artist in the world if I kept creating other projects and programs and courses and things like that, or wrote another book about another topic, because I knew it could make more money, when I knew this was the thing that could heal the maximum number of people. And I felt like it was just a duty. It just felt called forth that I needed to research this. I needed to put it out there and talk about it more. And people don't come to me for those types of that type of content. So everyone was like, why are you doing a book about masculine vulnerability when you're like, you know, the business entrepreneur guy, the product like all these other sort of things, you're the greatness guy. And I'm like, yes but at the root of suffering, if we can learn how to rid the root of suffering, then we can become the greatest version of ourselves. And if we can communicate better in relationships between men and women, then we can have more harmonious relationships and our families can be better. And we can go for, pursue our dreams better and we can have more love and acceptance. And that's what it's all about. And there'll be less crime, there'll be less this, you know, less fights, everything. So. I felt like it was a duty of mine. It's been amazing. I've been going to prisons and doing workshops for inmates who have been reading the book, who have been unlocking the reasons why they went to prison in the first place. And uh, for me, it's just about how can we continue to be a symbol of inspiration with our own unique gifts to the maximum number of people in the world. And that's what I'm trying to do with, with my own
0: part of it hundred percent, mate. I think you're an incredible example of that. That's incredibly profound. I love that. That's really good. Mate, I'm going to um, fire some questions at you from our audience and then we'll go through a few um, final rapid fire questions after that just to finish up. Um, this question from Kara's uh, camera, interestingly enough, following on from the conversation we just had, who's a woman that inspires you?
1: I mean, a lot of women inspire me. I've got a ton of people on my podcast. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, obviously Oprah, Gabby Bernstein, um, uh, Emily Sky over in Australia. You might know her. I like her a lot. Uh, Danica Patrick, who we had on recently, she's hosting the ESPY Awards tonight. Uh, Mel Robbins is a a big fan of hers. I'm looking at my wall of greatness over here of everyone hanging up on the wall uh sarah Blakely, who's yeah. the youngest female billionaire yeah. she's an inspiration that's been a big supporter of mine i really liked um uh, rupee core who's like just blowing up in the world with po- making poetry mainstream she's two books have been number one New york Times bestsellers for the last two years and they're poetry books which i think is really cool uh gretchen rubin glennon doyle you know all these women are maria Sharapova, Lindsay Sterling, all these women I've had on, I'm super inspired by.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Angelica Nora, when you have identified yourself one way for years, how do you successfully reinvent? Oh,
1: you got to be willing to uh, let go of an identity that has served you for many years. Mm. And, and the challenge is uh, we want to hold on to our identities. Mm. You know, as an, as an athlete, it was the scariest thing for me as an athlete my whole life. To say I'm no longer an athlete first, right? Because I wanted to – that was the thing that I got the most worth and value and acknowledgement from. Mm. And so to say – so when I got injured as a football player and my dream was over and I'm sleeping on my sister's couch, I'm living off the glory days because I can't live off the current days. And it was the scariest thing to shed one skin of identity Mm. and say, "Well, well, who am I now? And I don't have any other skills, so I need to go master some skills, add a bunch of value in the world, and then people know me as a new identity because I've added enough value in that identity. Mm. Uh, And it's funny because once I shed – I was scared to leave the athlete identity, but then I created a new identity by accident, which was teaching people about LinkedIn because I was obsessing over it at the time just to get opportunities for myself because I was broke. Everyone started to come to me and say, hey, can you show me how you've done what you've done on LinkedIn? So I started teaching it, wrote a book about it, did webinars on it for years, spoke about it everywhere, created content on all the big sites, and became known as the LinkedIn guy. And then when I was like, I don't wanna be known as a LinkedIn guy, this is not serving me, it might be serving you, I had to learn how to like, shed as quickly as possible and reinvent to the next thing. And then I became like the marketing guy, right? And I was like, I don't want to be known as that. I really want to do this podcast thing and interview people and be like Oprah, right? And so I had to like constantly push that to the side and shed that old skin and say I'm going to add as much value as possible as being an interview, interviewer, curator, um, and a connector of ideas, people, and products. Mate, and so when that's you, been,
0: yeah. When you realize you're coming to the end of a particular phase, athlete, yeah. LinkedIn, marketer guy, Describe the fear that you're feeling, knowing that you're about to shed one skin and, and perhaps be in no man's land for a minute and try and build another. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean, the first time is really scary. It's probably mm. like graduating high school and being like the all-star high school student or athlete and then going to a college where you're like the young nobody. Mm. It's like going into that next phase, there's a new identity you have to build. And then you have to create and then you're the big man or woman on campus your senior year of college, and then you're living in your college days because you're like, oh, I have to go in the workforce and no one cares about me. But I was like the man back at this like, you know, school, right? So I think it's that like first couple times, it's really scary. It's terrifying. It's an attack on your livelihood of your identity. It's like who you are. And that's why I think it's important to uh, be like a comedian and have, you know, I like to look at myself as the Catholic of life. Mm. Where I don't want to be like. In some ways, it's it's really good to be the best at one thing. But then, if that one thing is done, or you retire from that one thing, you put all your eggs in one basket, and you haven't developed yourself as a human in other facets. Mm. And for me, I was a decathlete, all American in college, and it's ten events for those who don't know what that is: ten events in track and field. And the reason why I was decathlete is because I wanted to be an all-American athlete. And there was not one event that I was good enough to make the all-American team. But I knew that I was good enough at ten events at one event. And I could be one of the best in the country at ten overall events because mm-hmm. that's my skill set. And so I started to pursue that. Um, and I started to really apply that, that philosophy within the first – three years after I was done playing professional football, because I knew that I was not going to be great at one thing, because the way that I work, I'm interested in lots of things. I'm a curious person, and I will get bored after I master one thing, I wanna go master something else. So within the first three years, I developed multiple skills. I went to public speaking classes every week, because I knew I wanted to be on stage, and I was terrified of speaking in front of people. I started salsa dancing, Five days a week because I was afraid of dancing, and I know I didn't want to have that fear anymore. I started playing guitar. I started doing all these other things that I couldn't do or was afraid to do to develop new skills, Mm. so I could have this repertoire of experiences. And I think that's helped me in lots of different areas of my life: is getting really, really good at lots of different things um, and learning how to master something quickly, because then. If one thing falls off, if I'm not able to do my podcast anymore, I can take the skills I've learned and quickly develop something new um, without having to sit around for a few years because I've already developed those skills. Mm. So I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to constantly innovate my own abilities every single day so that I almost never have an identity because. Like, yes, I've, okay, so I've written, I've done the podcast thing for five and a half years. I've written a couple best-selling books, but I don't want to be known as a podcaster or a New York Times bestseller or a guy who can throw big events or an online marketer who's got, you know, whatever, thousands of members and all these things. I don't want to be known as that. I want to be known as a guy who's constantly pushing the boundaries. That's why I've developed a talk show on Facebook. That's why I did a documentary. That's why I'm doing other creative projects to push me out of those Past identities. Every time I master a new identity, I want to say, what's the thing that's going to push me out of that identity as quick as possible? Why is that? Because so many people are stuck doing the same thing for a decade, two decades, and they never innovate. And different is better than better. If you're just trying to beat your competition and be better, against the other marketers doing the exact same thing and all these new people competing in that space, you're never going to get out of the rat race. You think you're getting out of it because you might be at the top of the rat race, but you're never innovating beyond that space. That's just the way that I look at things. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. I just, and in some ways I might be hurting myself because I put all this energy and skills in developing one thing and then I Leave it to go to the next thing. So it's almost like I'm hurting myself by all that. But I'm trying to – I'm not trying to be the next Jack Canfield, the next uh, Les Brown, the next Brendan Bouchard, the next Tony Robbins. I'm trying to be the next Oprah, the next Rock, the next Will Smith in those categories. And so what's it going to take for me to break through where I'm at to the next level, break through – I'm at to that next level to constantly push the boundaries and innovate so that I can develop the skills to be a mashup of The Rock and Oprah and LeBron James. Like those three brands combined, how can I add my athletic background? Not that I'm ever going to be as good as LeBron James in any sport, but how can I add that experience of athlete mindset mentality in sports along with curated emotionally vulnerable conversations and intimacy, like Oprah, right? mash with the rock where you're creating inspiring and conscious content that entertains the world. And how can I use my uniqueness in all of that to develop a new identity? And so that's all I'm trying to do. It, that's the, the, the target that I'm going after and I'm taking that path every single day. Mm.
0: And I do I do you know we spoke before about what are the common traits of hugely successful people. I, I do think that is one of them, right it, It's the courage to shed skin that used to be a, a good representation of who you were and and have the courage to you know what chart you know uh, venture into uncharted waters and into the unknown in the hope of developing yourself anew in the present moment. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's, man, is that the meaning of life? Maybe. Who Constantly knows? Constantly yeah. remembering I mean, and developing who and you I, are.
1: And I, and I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine 20 minutes before this call where he goes, you know what? Being in LA and, and building this hustle and bustle of life and like making more money and giving all these clients, he's like, sometimes I just want to go to Santa Bar- San Diego and just like live by the beach and just have a more chill life and, and not go after those things and just have a more relaxed, chill family Mm. experience. And I go, that's great. Also, Mm. you know, if that's what Mm. you want, if that's what brings you the most peace and the most meaning in life, Mm. then great. Then awesome. Like I have no, you know, there might be a time in my life where I'm like, you know what? I just want to go and like have a great little beach life and chill Mm. it out and Mm. give back to give back to my community and be the best health I can be. And, You know, I'm like, cool. But for me, this is what lights me up right now. And so that's what I'm going after.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful, mate. Some final questions. What do you know about yourself now that you'll find out in a year?
1: That I will find out in a year?
0: Mm. What do you mean? What do you know about yourself intuitively now that you think will come into your awareness to a greater degree a year from now?
1: I think... um, Anytime I do something new and challenging, there's always a little like insecurity and fear right around it. It's like I know I can do this but until I actually do it and get over the early jitters like I'm always a little uncertain of how it's gonna show. It's like going on stage on a big stage the first two minutes it's like I know I can speak on stage in front of 10,000 people but it's like what if I fuck up right now you know it's like it's like what if this little failure moment? And so, doing this uh, this new talk show, I kind of had this, like, I haven't been nervous in a long time. Like, interviewing the biggest people, being on the biggest stages, like, whatever it may be. I was nervous on Ellen for the first time a year a year ago. When I went on Ellen, it was the first time I was nervous in a long time. Then when I launched this new talk show, it was the second time I was nervous. For a few minutes, right before, it was a year over a year in development of selling the show to the executives at Facebook, developing the show, hiring the production company, putting it all together, doing the deal, doing the executive producer deal, the talent deal, making it all happen, having my vision of what I've wanted for years to now come together over a year of putting it together to where it's the first day of shooting, right? 50-person crew, all the cameras, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per episode shoot, like the whole thing. Everyone's there for me. The whole live audience is filing in and sitting down. And I'm sitting there watching it all unfold after a year of this happening. And now now I have to show up and perform. And I'm thinking to myself, am I ready? It's like, am I I was like, "What if I fuck this up? What if I mess this up? Everyone's here. Everyone's here for me now. This is what I. This is what I wanted. This is what I've been talking about. What I've been dreaming about. What I've been manifesting. It's all happening right now. Am I ready? What if I fucking blow this? And I had a moment of that, and it passed after about five minutes because I have a process that I do anytime I'm in fear to make sure I get through all that. Um, and so I think to answer the question. Um, knowing that I'm always ready for the challenge, even if I don't feel ready Mm. and that next year, whether this thing gets picked up into a hundred more episodes, 500 more episodes, Mm. or it doesn't, whatever, whatever the big challenge is next year, I'm going to still be ready and to just continue to step into who I am, my uniqueness in every single moment.
0: Mm. What's a question you wish people would ask you more? That's the the question. question. If we went back to the day before. That's the question. That's the question, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm on to the next one now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I I like the answer. If we went back to the day before you started um, your first business, what's the number one piece of advice you'd give your then self knowing what you know now?
1: Focus on my health first thing every single morning.
0: Nice, nice. Lewis Howes, mate, you are an absolute legend. I have really enjoyed connecting with you properly, mate. You're an exceptional human being, and the world needs more people like you, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. For all those watching, listening, uh, Lewis has recently launched a new talk show on Facebook Watch. Now, uh, from what we've discussed you know, prior to hitting the record button today and even a little bit of um, in the podcast, this sounds like it's going to be a groundbreaking show. It's called Inspiring Life with Lewis Howes. 30-minute uh, series will feature town hall-style conversations between Lewis, special guest experts, and a live audience focusing on human interests uh, and topics such as happiness, forgiveness, financial success, and social equity. Also, crew, t- check out Lewis um, on both Facebook and Instagram, facebook.com forward slash Lewis Howes, and on Instagram, simply Lewis Howes, L-E-W-I-S-H-O-W-E-S. Also, make sure you check out his podcast, 40 Million Downloads and Counting the School of Greatness. Lewis, what? look forward to meeting you in person one day soon, man. Appreciate it, brother. Good man. Cheers, man. Thanks for tuning into today's podcast. I'm Jack DeLosa. If you enjoyed listening, make sure you hit subscribe and you'll be the first in line to get every new episode sent directly to your phone. While you're at it, open Instagram and connect with me. My handle is simply at JackDeLosa, D E L. O-S-A. This is where you'll find me every day sharing the secrets of scaling multi-million dollar businesses and giving you a behind-the-scenes look at what it really takes to build a life that you love. You can also find me on all the usual places, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Just search Jack Delosa. Thanks again for listening, and as always, dream out loud. That's a wrap.
1: Yeah!